Welcome to Pivot, a podcast for church leaders, co-sponsored by Luther Seminary's Faith Lead and Lead. Welcome to Pivot, where today's episode is Reflections and Questions on Season 1. I'm Terry Elton, and I teach at Luther Seminary. I'm Scott Cormode. I am a professor at Fuller Seminary, and I have a book coming out in a couple of weeks called The Innovative Church. And I'm Louise Johnson, and I work with LEAD at waytolead.org. You know, somewhere in the middle of the early parts of pandemic, at LEAD, we decided to do some reflection. And I think actually you and I talked some, Terry, at that point, and I learned a great deal just from sharing our observations. But we stepped back and decided to build some courses. We'd kind of made it through Holy Week and recognized that it was time to kind of pivot, uh, so to speak, and to look in a different direction. So I put together a course called Build As We Fly, and that that course was intended to help people step into the new people that were showing up in our digital neighborhood and digital environments. And I structured the class, I think, as I would have six months or a year before that. And I thought I had taken into consideration what it meant to be in the middle of a pandemic, but it, it turns out that I really, I really didn't do a very good job of that. I couldn't anticipate the kinds of things that people were experiencing and just what their level of engagement was like. And so in every uh, session of the course, we started with check-ins and with a time just kind of dwelling in scripture. And I expected those two things combined to take maybe 15 minutes of the 90 minutes. And most weeks, what it did was take almost half that time. And I started to really recognize that there was just such deep need and a shift, a significant shift in the way in which church leaders were able to step into and think about leadership and even working with a congregational group in the same kind of course, you know, to get on Zoom at seven o'clock in the evening and watch just exhausted parents who were trying to put toddlers to bed and do full-time jobs and navigate their own grief and loss. You know, they were like deer in headlights. And so I really had to stop and step back and think again about what does that look like really to walk with church leaders in these days? And so I have the good fortune of working with a, a dear colleague of mine in some of this work. And so the two of us together stepped back and, and we came up with three things that emerged out of our experience of teaching leadership in these days, three things that we think are really key in terms of moving forward. And so these three are constituting now a new course uh, that we're doing at LEAD called Renew. And those three things are community, capacity, and competency. So community, you know, what we realized was just the deep loneliness of church leaders and competency and, you know, the need for understanding and looking at leadership differently for some new pivots and moves that would help church leaders move beyond oftentimes where they were really stuck and capacity, where do we get the energy? There was so much weariness and so much tired. And so today we're going to think a little bit about what those three things, those three categories, how they help us frame what we have learned in the past weeks of doing Pivot Together, and just maybe share at the end some of our own lingering questions that come out of this. So let's start with community. Terry. When you were talking I was thinking about even our own time. So those of you that listen to Pivot 
we gather each week and we spend a half hour, sometimes 45 minutes talking about each episode. And I think we've over the time had significant times of just where are we right in this? I think that's not uncommon for me with some of my other colleagues. I have had a number of things that are happening in people's lives and in their personal and their families and their relationships of people that are close to them, but in their cities, as I think of the George Floyd thing that was taking place of just being so aware of what's going on and asking like, how are you really before we get to the task, before we get to the agenda, this sense of not only creating space to listen, but to be vulnerable and to make kind of probe a little bit further than I would have in the past with some of my, especially colleagues that we tend to like stay in our lane and kind of do our thing. I think about a number of my good friends who I don't see often, even when there's not a pandemic and that sense of texting each other, how are you doing? I know this is coming up. And, and for me, this taps into this theme that we have talked about so much of listening, listening to people's longings and losses and like bringing it forward. Like I heard you, right? How is it going now? What does it mean now? And for me, one of the pivots that is bringing up is how will I use my time and how will I continue that sense of being present with and for people? I know there are days in this season that we've been recording a pivot that I just needed people to ask me that question and to deeply take in whatever I had to say. They didn't have to fix it. They don't have to, they couldn't solve it, but to hear me. And I know that I have gotten to be that for other people at time. And I'm like, I don't want to lose that in this moment. Scott, what, what does community come for you? Well, it's funny because you know I wrote down some notes as we talked about community, and the first thing, of course, that I wrote also was listening. My understanding of community is hugely shaped by the New Testament concept of koinonia, where koinonia is mutual obligation. It's what happens to me happens to you, and whatever your plight is is my plight. That's what I understand community, and. It's this whole pandemic thing has caused me to rethink how I understand community in the church. I think about the coffee hour that we often have after our church services and about how it's scripted to be when you say, how are you doing? There's only two appropriate answers, at least in my congregation. The first one is to say fine, and the other is to say busy. And busy is code for I'm overwhelmed by things, but I really don't want to burden you with that. And the more overwhelmed people are, the more likely they are to say, fine, because I don't want to take the time to have to bother you to tell you what I'm feeling. And as we've been talking, I've thought about how some of the conversations that Terry and Louise, you, you two have had with me as we've been talking together have shaped the way I've experienced community in the pandemic. I think very, very early on, perhaps the first time we met together, Louise, you said something about how in the midst of all of this pandemic, I think I need just one day a week where I can just go nuts. As long as it's only one day a week, I'm I'm feeling okay. But that I'm just going to be, there's going to be one of those days where it's just going to get to me. And I laughed at that, 
But I can't tell you how many times I've told that story in the last few weeks because it gives people an out. It gives people a legitimacy to say, it's okay to be going a little bit crazy. And part of community is recognizing our pain in each other. And telling that story, Louise, and me telling the story about you allows people to open up and talk about when they had to go a little nuts. And so listening is not just about listening, but it's about this idea of empathy, about I feel what you feel and you feel what I feel, and we're going to feel it together. And we're not going to hide from those feelings. So those are the things I've been thinking about community. Louise, what about you? What have you been thinking about? Thank you, Scott and Terry, both. I, I resonate very much with the kinds of things that you're talking about. And I moved just before uh, the pandemic hit. I moved to, to St. Paul, Minnesota, and I did that because I have a number of friends and colleagues and acquaintances and so on and so forth in the Twin Cities. And I was really looking forward to the opportunity of getting to know my neighborhood and meeting new people and connecting to friends and people that I had known, but not had, hadn't lived close to in a long time. And of course, you know, when we were quarantined for long periods of time up front, that, that got to be really challenging. So I was living by myself, working by myself. So I had to figure out a lot of what does community look like and how do I build that again in new kinds of ways. And I'm resonating very much with what both of you have said and that part of that meant that I had to be willing to be vulnerable about my own situation and what I was experiencing. And I didn't learn that kind of leadership. I learned that, you know, church leaders are supposed to keep all their stuff at bay and inside and, you know, you're supposed to be a non-anxious presence and so on and so forth. And to be perfectly honest, you know, by the time we were, you know, there were riots a mile from my house in the middle of a pandemic, I couldn't keep my anxiety at bay anymore. I just couldn't do it. And yet I still had a job to do. And so I, I learned some really important lessons about what it meant to to share some of that and to reach out to people and to find new ways of being and being present for others in the midst of a pandemic. And Scott, I go back oftentimes to, you know, the, the longings and losses. And you, you said something earlier before we started to record that really caught my attention too, is that we want to control or escape and we can't do either right now. I love that. I think that's, I, I, res- I feel very convicted by that. And that in order to feel gratitude, or I might even say joy, in order to feel joy in these times, we have to be open to feeling the grief. And so that's going off the rails once a week, right? Because if you let that kind of grief in, it's big, right? And it takes over and it takes time to just wallow for a little while and to let let the grief shape you. And so I just, I've learned a lot, I think, about loneliness and, and therefore about community, because I think you have to understand loneliness to understand the power of community. I want to shift uh, a little bit and talk next about capacity. So where do we get the energy or the engine or the you know, the fuel we need to be present in the time that we are and to lead in the ways that we're called to. Scott, I wonder what you're thinking about that. Well, so if the first thing we talk about is community, the second is capacity. When I look back on the conversations we've had together, the ways that I want to talk about capacity, I want to think about why is this moment so hard? And then what are some things we can do about it? So 
the first thing I want to recognize about capacity is there's a reason why we are all overwhelmed. Uh, I think probably the best thing I read about the pandemic is an article that Andy Crouch and his team wrote called Strategies for Winter, where he talked about in very, very, very early on, maybe the first or second week of our sheltering in place, where he said that the image that we all have is that this is like a blizzard, that we're all going to hunker down for just a few days, and then it's going to go away, and then we'll all go back to normal. And that some people are beginning to think that maybe this is going to be like winter, where it's going to be a little bit longer than a blizzard, and maybe it'll be even a couple of months. But Andy was writing about how really it may well be the beginning of an ice age in that things will never be the same again. That when we finally emerge from our sheltering, that things will never be the same again. And now we look back five, six months later and we recognize that he was right. That it's not just a blizzard. It's not even just winter. And that even if we could emerge tomorrow, things will never be the same again. I was sitting with uh, somebody yesterday, and one of the things we were joking about is, will we someday be telling our grandkids that once upon a time, we used to all go out to dinner together at these things called restaurants, or one of my friends loves buffet dinners. And you know, the whole idea of a buffet is just going the way, I mean, how could you imagine that in, in this world? So things are going to be different. And I look back, and the first line of the book that I've got coming out is, it says, the church as we know it is calibrated for a world that no longer exists. It, it talks about how every, well, it used to be every hundred years there would be social change, and it would take the church 10 to 20 years to figure out how to respond to that, and then that would be fine. And then it came to the point where social change happened every generation. And scholars are telling us that in the 20th century, by the late 20th century, it was happening every decade. And nowadays, they're telling us that it's happening every five to seven years. I mean, think about what's just happened since 2007. 2007, we have the introduction of the iPhone, and the smartphone changes everything. 2008, we have the economic crash that changed everything. 2016, we have this election of Donald Trump. And whether you're on either side of this, everyone agree, would agree that the political discourse is completely different than it was even five years ago. And then we have a pandemic. And the thing of it is, is that it's like these waves of change. It takes a couple of years to respond. But for the problem is, is that by the time we figure out a response, the next wave is already swept over us. And we're calibrated for a world that no longer exists. And this capacity thing is overwhelming us because we need agility when all we want to do is I want everybody wants to say just teach me the dance steps I want to choreograph it and I want to learn it and then I will do it and all will be well and the problem is we don't know what song's coming next and so we don't know what the beat's going to be and we're going to have to be able to invent it as we go and so when I think about that's why it's so hard what can we possibly do about that and the thing that comes to mind is the idea of Sabbath. And my notion of Sabbath, as I read scripture, is different than what I grew up with. I would grow up that the definition of Sabbath was a day of rest. And I would argue biblically that the idea of Sabbath is a healthy rhythm of labor and rest. 
We have to learn to labor well, and we have to learn to rest well. And I, during this pandemic, I have had to put an enormous amount of energy into figuring out how do I do restorative rest? That seems completely counterintuitive. Why would I put more energy into figuring out how to rest? Because by the time, oh, I don't know, six weeks ago, I finally figured this out, I was able to build some kind of restorative rest into my week each week. And my weeks are better now because of it. By putting that energy in, I now have more of a healthy rhythm of labor and rest. So when I think about capacity, I think about why the moment's hard, because we're calibrated for a world that no longer exists. And what can we do about it? I think about Sabbath. What do you all think about capacity? I think a lot about this question. And I feel like this is the one place where maybe I had a little training for a pandemic and that was being a seminary president. So it's the closest thing I can think of. (laughs) But walking into that role uh, about five years ago now, you know, I had worked in theological education in a variety of different roles and jobs for 20 years. So, you know, I I had some experience and um, knew particularly the administrative side of seminary graduate, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, on paper, it looked like I had the right things. And obviously the Holy Spirit was present with me and with the search committee in that process. And so I felt deeply called to, to walk into, to step into the role, even though I didn't feel quite qualified for it, I, I felt called to it. I walked into it and about six weeks in discovered that I had come to the end of my own capacity, what I could do, what I could bring to that role and that job. And particularly in the time we are in, if you know anything about theological education, you know that it's a, it's a tough thing to do right now. And many theological schools suffer greatly because of that. But Fortunately, uh, I had a colleague who really helped me remember, I think, what I had learned somewhere back in the day, and that is that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And so what does that mean and how, how do I do that practically? For me, that meant really digging deeply into scripture and prayer and to be tightly connected to the power of the Holy Spirit. And that meant that I did some pretty unusual things and made some unusual decisions. But what I discovered in the thick of that was that when and where my capacity ran out, that God stepped in, that the power of the Spirit was powerful and present. And so for me these days in relationship to capacity, I think about the the kind of weariness and tiredness and the, you know, I might just run into so many leaders that are frozen, you know, I don't know what to do. And so they just keep doing the same things that they do know how to do. And even though they know they're not working and, you know, I think about a good colleague, bishop friend of mine who said, you know, I'm just really worried about the pastors in my synod. I see them and they're exhausted because they did this push in the beginning of the pandemic and they added all these things to their plate and they kept all the same things going. And so they're doing, you know, two or three times what they were doing before. And they, they thought that they would only have to sustain that for, you know, six or eight weeks. And now we are months and months into this with no end in sight. And so I worry about where they're going to get the energy or capacity. And so for me, that's that's a mystical question. And the practical aspect of that mystical question for me lands in deep discipleship. So 
I, I really, anybody that I'm working with in leadership these days is going to be reading scripture with me and reflecting on that and praying in it because I just keep returning to the the promises of Isaiah that God's word will not return empty, that it will accomplish that which it purposes. And so I, you know, I just, I'm clinging tightly to that promise and knowing that it will continue to emerge in ways that I can't even imagine and hoping and praying for eyes to see the ways in which it unfolds. But for me, that capacity question, you know, that's come up for us a number of times as we've talked about things like wilderness and exile, you know, how it is that we navigate those kinds of things. Jerry, what about you? So as you were talking, I was laughing to myself and maybe I'm not alone. My capacity used to be dictated on my Google calendar. If there was an open space during the time, you know, that I was working or whatever, I still had capacity, you know, if that time hadn't been allotted, then I could add a meeting. I could use that for my writing time this hour or whatever. But it was all in these boxes that could be neatly put on my calendar and I could kind of get a lay of how my week was going to be. And I could go in on Monday or Sunday night, look to Monday and say, hey, this is going to be a good week or this is going to be a full week, but I, you know, I'll do these things and I can, I'll have the capacity I need to do what I need to do. And I think, wow, my calendar has nothing to do with my capacity to handle what comes my way since the pandemic. It is a totally different, that's a pivot for me. And it wasn't until you were all talking, I'm like, that day, that ship has sailed. And I think the piece for me that continues to emerge is capacity has to do with the capacity to do ideas or process problem solve the complexity and some of the challenges we're facing i need more space than less space you know if i have to reteach the class i taught last year i just have to tweak a few things if i'm starting from zero on the post pandemic i need more space right to do that with ideas but i also think i have also put on my calendar this is what I'm going to work out. And if I work out this in these little slots on my calendar, my physical self will be just fine. I haven't taken into account how am I sleeping, if I broke my hand, you know, those kinds of things. And so I think for me, the, the ability to say, what's my capacity? What kind of space do I need for the ideas? What kind of space do I need to care for my body? And then one that I don't ever put on my calendar. How am I doing really the emotional wear of whatever that is? So for me, I think of all the practices and Scott, you named some, Louise, you named some, all of those things for me, the capacity building pivot for me has been from calendar to a a new set of practices that I can do jazz on right? If this one doesn't quite work, that's fine. But the practice, like using the practice to help understand the capacity. So for me, the question out of this is how do I create the space I need for the capacity of what's in front of me on each of those three areas? Louise, tell us more about this competency. Let's shift to that. Yeah. Community, capacity, competency. 
So as I was thinking about this category, Terry, I was thinking about back to when I first moved to St. Paul. Sometime in January, you were kind enough to reach out and we had lunch on a Sunday afternoon. Actually, in a restaurant. In a restaurant, right? Yeah. Back in the days when we could do that. And um, Remember those, Scott? Restaurants? <laughs> and I... I remember, like, I mean, we knew one another and had interacted here and there, but I I just was so excited to have that time with you. And I remember asking, I don't know if you remember this, I remember asking you, like, what are the top five leadership books that I should read? That was like, I just wanted to know, like, where you were coming from on that and I have such high regard for you and the work that you do and the wisdom that you bring. And you looked at across the table at me and you were like, don't read five books on leadership. (laughs) And it was a great reminder to me to really live into the wisdom of the community, Mm -hmm. right? I think in in a way you were encouraging me to to draw on the wisdom that that I had and you weren't saying don't read the books but but don't get caught up in all of that right and so i think when i think about competency in this season i think about the fact that there are not good maps for where we're going in part because we don't know what's coming at us you know there are some really funny facebook posts going around out there but i think there's one that you know nobody that predicted what would happen in 2020 got it right you know there's something about that and i think you know as we move forward it seems less and less certain and so i'm mean, certainly there are some good practices and things like that that we can lean into but i think when i think about competency i think a lot about shared wisdom Terry, you were in one of our previous episodes, you talked about new kinds of collaborators. And I think a lot about, you know, who are the people and what are the practices and what are the disciplines from which we can learn and gain wisdom? And then how do we bring tough things and struggles to the table and engage a trusted group of colleagues who can help us walk through and work through those So there's a kind of shared wisdom, but also I think it hearkens for me back to the community piece of it too, right? That we don't do this work alone, but in fact, we've got others who will not only share their wisdom, but will pray for us when we're walking into difficult conversations and who will check in with us and who will help celebrate what does go well and grieve what doesn't go well and will help us think again, right? Uh, Because we're probably not going to get it right on the first charge. But I think back a lot to that conversation, Terry, and just your grace in sharing that kind of, just that prompt to, to lean into shared wisdom. And the podcast of Pivot came out of that. That was part of that spirit of collaboration that we're better learning together. Thanks, Louise. I think about that for me in leading in the church and in teaching leadership, which all of us are doing on, in different platforms, right? The pivot that was subtle for me a year ago is now a, a 180. It's a much more stark turn. And I think for me, the importance of a compass or having a center and having a simple kind of like, what am I about me personally as a leader, but also the communities of which I lead. And then of having a vision of the abundant future. And for me, God has said all kinds of things about what that abundant future looks like. And it doesn't look like the rioting that took place in my city last night 
or it doesn't look like the people that don't have food or right. Like this, this stark contrast, but of saying, what would abundance look like? And what would God's view of that be? And then have kind of this direction. Like it's not a strategic plan, but it's like, well, if I start doing this, it creates the conditions for people to thrive and to live out that new vision or the God's vision for us. And I think I too had been writing on working on a book, Scott, that came out right before the pandemic, which is equally as fun to write, have. But it was about how do we form faith and how do we accompany people in discovering a life of faith in the middle of being off the map, like you said, Louise, in wilderness times. And I think of how many disruptions happen in the wilderness. And that's just to be expected. And it doesn't stop you from moving forward. And so for me, the pivot has been to work with the environment. We've talked about that several times, right? To have that direction, that that purpose, that vision, that direction, but not to have it so tight and neat that this capacity to work with the environment in, in carrying out those things and to be willing to be agile in, and you, you brought that up already, Scott, that sense of holding those lightly. Scott, what, what do you bring to this? When I think about competencies, I think of three things. The first is that one of the key competencies for this pandemic world is the ability to feel at both the same time gratitude and grief. That's a competency because it requires effort and it's a skill set that most of us don't have. Most of us aren't very good at feeling either gratitude or grief, but to feel them at the same time is very difficult. This is where I was saying earlier to to Louise, the idea that I think that what we want when we feel overwhelmed is either control or escape. And the problem with gratitude and grief is it requires us to do neither. We have to live in the deep feeling of gratitude and live in the deep feeling of grief at the same time. And it's just very hard to hold those. And there are times that we hold them separately and there are times that we have to hold them at the exact same time. My daughter got married over the weekend. We uh, flew up to Seattle and what was supposed to be a 150 person wedding was nine of us. And I felt tremendous gratitude that I got to see my daughters who I haven't seen since Christmas. And I got to be with them and I got to hug them. We, we all did the, the quarantine thing for two weeks. We all got COVID tests so we could all live in the same house for three, four days before she got married. And I just felt tremendous gratitude. But I also felt grief at the same time. My parents weren't able to come. They were um, able to watch on Zoom. But you know, just all these things that, you know, every nine-year-old girl at some point has some conversation in her head about what's my wedding going to be like. And my daughter had a, you know, she had a thought of what her wedding was going to be like, and it was never going to be nine people in a pandemic. And so we have to feel gratitude and grief and the depth of feeling. If we hide from our feelings, we feel neither thing. Earlier, Louise, you mentioned how important vulnerability is. And I think that's part of it. So the first competency is to feel gratitude and grief. The second is the idea of agility. Um, We want desperately to be told how to get a guaranteed outcome. If you do these three things, this is guaranteed to happen. And the world we live in now just can't promise that. 
and we need agility. And the skill sets, the, the competencies that go with agility are, are two things. One is listening, and the other is making spiritual sense. I need to be able to respond to the people entrusted to my care and to be able to share the gospel to them in, in ways that meet the needs that they are, of what they're currently feeling. So I need to understand what they're currently feeling, that's listening, and that I need to be able to have read enough scripture and to have lived in this prayer, the prayer and scripture of the moment to be able to help them figure out how to make spiritual sense of this moment. And the only way I know how to do that is to have listened to people long enough that I am transformed by the empathy that I feel for their plight. And only once I'm transformed will I be able to be agile. So that's the second competency. And then the third, as you all were talking, I kept thinking about Max Dupree. Max Dupree was a Christian leader. There's a business hall of fame and he's in it. I mean, he's, you know, well-respected in the business world. But as a Christian leader, he embodied much of what we want out of Christian leadership. And one of the things that he talked about is what he did as a leader is he would announce his values, announce the values that he wanted to be as the president or CEO of a company. And then he would give his people the ability to hold his feet to the fire. In most of the world, what we think of as vision is we announce the values that we want our people to have, and then we tell how we're going to hold their feet to the fire. He would do the exact opposite. I'll give you an example. He tells a story about how one of the things that is a constant value in his company is the idea that the people in the company at the rank and file get to choose their leaders or have a say in choosing their leaders. And at one point, the other thing he says is that um, anybody can have 15 minutes with the president. You can make an appointment. It may take a couple of months, but anybody in the company. Well, at one point, he tells a story of a woman named Valerie who has made her appointment to come and talk to him for 15 minutes. And she's somebody who works on the swing shift. She works in the, in the evenings assembling chairs. And she says, you announced that we would have a say in our leaders, but what's happened is you've appointed a new VP, which is fine. And that VP has fired all of the uh, leaders of the factory floor and appointed his own people, people that would be loyal to him. And that's not right because we didn't have a say. Now, everything they would teach you in business school is you got to support your VP. You know, this is a new person. You, you just got to support him. Max did the exact opposite. He said, you got to support our values. He went to the VP and says, is that what happened? VP says, yeah, that's what happens. That's what I was taught in business school. You got to have people that are loyal to you. And Max says, I'm sorry. The problem here is that we allow every person to have a say in their leaders. And so he reinstated the leaders. He did the exact opposite of what everybody would teach you. But he did it because he announced his values and then he gave his people the ability to hold his feet to the fire. That's another form of agility. He doesn't know what the future is going to hold, but he knows what values he wants to embody, and he gives his people the right to do that. So as I think about competencies, I think about gratitude and grief, I think about agility, and I think about announcing your values and giving your people the ability to hold your feet to the fire. So what lingering questions? The, the last thing we do before we're done is, that are there things we didn't cover, things that left over? Louise, Terry, what are some lingering questions that you imagine? One of my pieces that is resonating in me because I'm pivoting into fall and teaching a new class and I'm teaching on innovation. And I don't want to just pick up and do what I did last time, but that's because we live in a different moment. 
And this class particularly has the project where students, small group of students work with a adaptive challenge in, in real congregations and spend 10 weeks using practices in class around that. So my lingering question piggybacks, Louise, on what you said, how are we going to lean more deeply into collaboration? I've like tipped the iceberg, you know, of collaborating from that class with the church and the seminary, right? And so I have that this fall. So I'm going to lean more deeply into that. But I'm going to ask always, is there a collaborator? Is, is there another way that we could learn together around blurring lines, putting weird partners in conversation with each other? I know that for me, collaboration has been a lifeblood for me during this time. And so that's a lingering question is who should I be collaborating with in this time? So what about you, Louise? What are you thinking? I think in some ways we've done a lot of adapting. And then in other ways, we have not yet stepped into the beautiful, terrible opening that is this moment in time. And so while lots of what we are experiencing is loss and grief, and I don't want to make light of that or skip over it, there is also this just incredible moment in the church that feels to me like an invitation to cast a big vision, to become the church that I think scripture points us toward and that God imagines for God's world. And so I wonder how we get at that, how we move beyond the questions of do we go back to in-person worship or do we stay online or some of those kinds of things? And I I wonder what it, what it might mean to think about church buildings that, you know, what even before pandemic housed a handful of people, what it would be like for those places to be um, housing or shelter of some kind for people that are um, being evicted from their apartments. And I, I get all of the legal and logistical and medical questions around that. And yet, I wonder how the church can step in and ask those big questions again and how we might be able to lead not only our churches, but to be, to be salt and light and leaven in our world in ways that call together God's people in peace and in love. The question that I keep thinking about is what story do we want our people to embody? I keep thinking about how the story we tell ourselves can change everything. There's this wonderful example um, that when I was researching my book, I came across that there's a company called IDEO. When Apple wanted to invent this thing called the mouse, they went to IDEO and said, come up with this idea of what a mouse looks like, you know, that kind of thing. That, and at one point, they discovered that children have a difficult time in MRI machines, that they find them cramped and scary. And about 80% of children need to be uh, fully sedated to go into an MRI machine. And so they went to IDEO and said, we want you to invent a new MRI machine so that one that children won't have to be sedated for. And they spent a bunch of time listening to children. And they decided that they didn't need a new MRI machine. They needed a new story. 
And so what they did is they tricked out two MRI machines. One of them looked like a princess's castle and the other looked like a pirate ship. And they had the nurses and the docs, the technicians all dress up. They gave them scripts and they would take an eight-year-old and they would say, you get to pick, what are you going to be? And they'd say, I want to be a pirate. And they say, okay, and here's your lines. And they dress them up like a pirate. And they said, but every pirate, you know, you, there's going to be a moment when you get kidnapped by pirates and you're going to have to be brave and you're going to be locked down in the hold of the ship. And there's going to be a moment where you can hear the ship crunching over you and you're going to have to, you know, and they invite them into the story because they realize you can't send a kid to Disneyland and they love being scared by these kinds of things. And it flipped it where 80% of kids could go through an MRI without being sedated. They didn't need a new device. They needed a new story. And I think that that is the essence of the Christian message. We have a story that will transform people's lives. We have a story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we need to find ways to invite people into that story. And so the lingering question for me is how do we tell this gospel story for this moment in a way that invites people to come and inhabit the story of the kingdom of God? I really appreciate that, Scott. And what brings me joy is walking alongside people that that's driving them every day. And I get it's hard. I get it's tiring. I get, you know, all of that. But underneath that light shines, right? That's a driving force. And I hope in some small way, this pivot conversation over this season of a pandemic of which none of us had imagined this is where we would end up has been a little bit of encouragement to hold on, to let that gospel story that we read and dwell in, as you say so well, Louise, as that we saturate ourselves in that, that that becomes our story and it becomes the light that shines throughout. And it we begin to dress up as the pirate or the princess, that it begins to come from who we are. I have to end with a great thank you to both of you for saying yes to an email and for the support team at Luther and LEAD that have helped kind of put some of this, this pieces together so that we could talk about and focus on the things, the ideas, the experiences that we're having and hope to serve you in the church uh, a little bit in this, in this time. So thank you, um, Scott and Louise, for your time. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. And we, we hope and pray that this has touched your heart and helped you be uh, messengers of the gospel in this time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of our Pivot Podcast. For more leadership resources from LEAD, you can go to waytolead.org, or from Faith LEAD, go to faithlead.luthersem.edu.